به مردم شریف ایران من شهر احشار هستم میزبان شما در برنامه پالیتکس 365 امروز یک مهمان به برنامه ما برگشته پیوسته از فلوریدا یونیورسیتی دکتر اریک لاب ایشون یک کارشناس و پروفسور موضوعات خاورمیانه و سیاسی هستش و قبلا هم به برنامه ما پیوسته بود در مورد ایران و چند تا موضوعات خاورمیانه ایشون صاحب نظرن و به ما خیلی کمک کردن که بیشتر آگاه آگاهی پیدا کنیم در این موضوعایی که همیشه در ایران هر هفته یه موضوع جدیدی پیش میاد و ما واقعا کمک لازم داریم از اکادمیکا و پروفسورای دانشگاه که به ما کمک کنن که بیشتر واقعا بتونیم این موضوع رو بیشتر درک کنیم و یه موضوعی که واقعا تو سی ان ان و شبکه های عمومی زیاد پخش نمیشه و وقت نیست که توش به اصطلاح واقعا آدم بجور و بیشتر آشنایی باشه بده کنه مجددا میخواستم بگم هر موقع میخواستیم ما تماس بگیرین میتونیم به وبسایت ما مراجعه کنین politics365.com روی یوتیوب کانال هم یه دونه داریم همون ویدیوهایی که این همه همین برنامه اینجا پخش میشه روی رادیو ایران ویدیوش چند روز بعد توی یوتیوب و وبسایت ما پخش میشه اگه موضوع رو میخواین ما باش به اصطلاح روبرو بشیم و پیگیری کنیم خواهش میکنم ما تماس بگیرین میتونید به ایمیل شخصی من هست info at politics365.com uh, هر سوالی uh, توصیه انتقالی دارین ما خوشحال میشیم صدای شما رو بشنویم و پیام شما رو دریافت کنیم که بتونیم جوابای شما رو بدیم خب بریم دنبال اصل قضیه دکتر اریک لاب خوش اومدین به برنامه ما موضوع این برنامه به انگلیسی انگلیسی البته تهیه شده اما خب سوال به فارسی میکنم بعد به انگلیسی واقعا این گروگانایی که تازه آزاد شدن از ایران و اون پول 6 بیلیون دلاری که از کره جنوبی آزاد شد پول ایران بود اما خب آزاد شد آمریکا اجازه داد که این پول برگرده به اسکرو اکانت قطر اما خب حالا میبینیم که واقعا اون چجوری اون اسکرو اکانت مدیریتش چجوری داره اجرا میشه اما این 6 نفری که 5 نفری که آزاد شدن خب ایرانی آمریکایی بودن مثل خیلی از شما که شاید این برنامه رو گوش میکنین رفته بودن یا بیزینس داشتن هزار تا کار داشتن فامیل ببینن ایران یه دفعه دستگیر میشن چند سال زندانی میشن و الان آزاد شدن اما خب این موضوع همیشه مثل یه ابر سیاه روی هر ایرانی که میره ایران و ویزیت میکنه ش... کشور خودشو هست که ممکنه بدون هیچ دلیل یه دفعه ایران شما رو دستگیر کنه و بمونین همونجا زندان تو که تا کشور شما لندن میگم انگلیس آمریکا کانادا بره برای شما سعی کنه واسطه بشه و یه جوری آزادی شما رو بخره و اصل موضوع اینه so, sorry Eric I had to explain a lot of back of course our listeners know all this stuff um, but uh, I just had to state the obvious which is you know any Iranian that goes to Iran uh, for good purposes see family do business whatever is legally allowed uh, can get entangled in some international intrigue Uh, and get arrested for no reason uh, and be used as a political pawn. Uh, and in this case, apparently uh, worth a billion dollars per per prisoner, um, you know, which kind of just, just proves beyond a reasonable doubt that whatever charges they were arrested for was nonsense. Because if, if there is, as we say in this country, we're a nation of laws, okay, Uh, whether whether it's a president's son in this country or or somebody or, the, or former president, you know, 
the law will deal with it. And we have this checks and balances between Congress and the, the, the legislative and, and the executive. But in Iran, it's all one big political blob that uh, is only designed to preserve itself and its ideology or, or, or its power structure and not respect the law. So whatever legal uh, premise they were arrested with apparently was nonsense because they could simply be freed without any kind of uh, uh, discretionary uh, free. So I guess I, I would like your thoughts about how you saw this exchange. Uh, what are the implications really in, in Iran and the Middle East and, and with U.S.-Iran relations? And we'll go from there. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And um, I mean, where do I start, of course? As you said, uh, <laughs> this deal was was publicly consummated back in in uh, back, uh, I believe, a, a month or so ago in, in August is when it started leaking. Uh, and then it was actually more recently implemented uh, last week when we started to see uh, the Iranians who who arrived in, in Qatar, uh, as well as uh, uh, the Iranian Americans who, who were released arriving there. And then, uh, of course, the, the five Iranians um, who were released from the United States, some arriving, I believe, in Qatar, others choosing not to go back to Iran uh, and staying here or going elsewhere. Uh, and and so you know, there's a lot to sort out here. Um, you know, the the selling point of this deal, and of course, this deal really comes in the wake of collapsed indirect talks over uh, you know to efforts to revive the JCPOA or the Iran nuclear deal, which which really collapsed in the spring and summer of 2022. And then after that, there were attempts at back channel talks, um, perhaps limiting their ambitions to just a prisoner exchange and to the unfreezing of, of assets in South Korea that, of course, were tied to Iran's oil export revenues. Um, and so this deal did come to fruition, right? It was, uh, it was, let's say, maybe more manageable, given that it was more limited in scope than sanctions relief in exchange for nuclear restrictions that you see with the JCPOA. Uh, that involves um, the uh, the the P five plus one. Although here, you know, there this was still very complicated uh, because you had three different intermediaries at, at the very least that we know about, which is uh, Switzerland, Oman, Qatar, uh, and so uh, you know, even a deal is as you know on the surface that that could be seen as simple as a an exchange of prisoners or hostages or the release of assets still is very complicated. Um, still involved a lot of actors, a lot of months, apparently, of negotiations, uh, even the the way that these, um, I mean, uh, you know, once once the prisoners were put under house arrest and released, uh, that was relatively straightforward. But but now looking at how the how what what is going to happen with these assets? Right. Uh, they went from uh, South Korea to Switzerland and now to Qatar, um, you know, as you mentioned, in an escrow account. Uh, they're supposed to be used strictly for humanitarian purposes, i.e. food or medicine and, and other humanitarian goods for the population, not for the, the government, for military or political or geopolitical purposes. The question is, you know, is, is that realistic? Is that really going to come to fruition? Um, can, you know, even the U.N. Uh, oil for food program that we saw with Iraq was very controversial and, and, and had some issues. So. Um, it, 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 you know, from an academic perspective, I know this could be very emotional for people that believe in, in greater engagement with this regime or not engaging with this regime, that this was somehow a payoff to a regime that did not deserve this. Um, 
whatever side of the fence you're on, you know, academically, at least for me, it'll be interesting to see how this actually really gets done in the end. Um, it realistically through Qatari financial institutions and vendors, can you really strictly channel these assets into humanitarian goods, or are they going to somehow find their way uh, into the the coffers or the the pockets, let's say, of of of, of institutions or individuals affiliated with the regime? Mm. No, it, it's true. I think a lot of there are a lot of uh, skeptics around uh, the entire structure of the deal. Uh, no one has any confidence that Qatar will will do everything correctly. And even if they do, no one has any confidence that the Iranian government will, uh, what, submit the correct paper? I mean, you know what? There's all <laughs> kinds of ways, especially in the Middle East. I mean, look, I think the Middle East invented some of these bureaucratic corrupt uh, practices. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what else you can say. Uh, lots of good things come from the Middle East, of course. And, uh, but, but this way of uh, bureaucracy and corruption and uh, getting around the legal structure of things is just the way Iran does business, and I don't. I think the other aspect is Qatar being a tiny, you know, uh, country, kind of beholden to a, a superpower, you know, uh, across the Gulf. You know, they're not going to want to do things to upset the the sleeping bear. You know, uh, I mean, in every way. I mean, all the smaller Arab countries around the Gulf, uh, they find ways to pay homage to the regime uh, because they don't want to make an enemy out of the regime. So, I mean, in, I think in all uh, intents and purposes, that $6 billion are now in, in an Iranian bank. Uh, so it, it, it is what it is. It, and it's Iranian oil revenues, yes. But it kind of makes me think what other uh, frozen assets, how many other billions are frozen in other countries uh, based on the sanctions? You know, uh, this was... I mean, we heard a lot about this six billion with South Korea. I don't know where else is frozen. Uh, are you aware of any? Uh, is it a global freeze, or is it just was it just South Korea, as far as you know? I mean, frankly, I mean, I would assume that there's billions, you know, elsewhere. Right. Um, you know, European countries, the United States, and elsewhere. And um, you know, you have debates in terms of what can you do with with these assets. Um, you know, for example, if there's a court case against Iran, can you use these assets to award the victims of the case right. uh, or, you know, the, the, the defendants or the, the pro let's say the, the prosecution? Can you uh, award them these assets? And, and I, I'm not, you know, frankly sure or an expert on the intricacies of all that. Um, right. But but again, you know, I think you make a, 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 an important point that, that critics of this deal have made. I mean, again, the selling point for, for the Biden administration is. You can't argue against bringing Americans home, right? That's that's patriotic. That's you know uh, the, the the duty of the the responsibility of the U.S. government to do. But on the on the flip side, um, you know, critics of this uh, deal would say that this incentivizes Iran um, and even other you know so-called rogue nations or pariah states uh, to continue these practices um and and, and uh, to extract you know more uh more assets or to use them as pawns as you said earlier for other uh geopolitical purposes uh and, and uh so you know it it, it sends uh, perhaps um uh adverse signals let's say uh in that area and um you know it's it's interesting because this this uh transaction or this deal coincided with the UN General Assembly Council uh, uh meeting uh, last week 
and our assembly meeting last week in New York, where President Rice, he was invited. Uh, and, you know, the U.S. didn't say much about Iran. You know, when you when you listen to the speech of President Biden, just that, we're you know, that the U.S. is not going to allow um, Iran to weaponize its nuclear program. But that's about the furthest that they said. But for Iran, again, it was um, you know the brazenness, let's say that that um, that President Raisi, uh, you know, infused this speech with in terms of that these were Iranian assets, as you said earlier, these are our assets. Uh, you know, we're entitled to do what we want with them. So, as you said, or as you implied, I mean, thinking that the Iranians may respect, you know, the, these these constraints on on the assets for humanitarian purposes may be far fetched. Um, not to mention blaming the U.S. for the protests and and other issues that Iran's dealing with. And I and I think the last thing is is you, you know it's very valid what you say in terms of how the Qataris are going to handle this because they've already seen other Arab Gulf states, uh, you know GCC states uh, being in the on the you know the the front lines, uh, culminating with the the drone and missile attack on the on the Saudi oil facilities of Abqaiq and Horace in 2019. Um, which has prompted the Saudis, the Emiratis, and others to to engage with Iran and try to dial down tensions to avoid those types of attacks. Not to mention, you know, being close to Yemen and, and the Houthis and their capabilities. So, so there's a lot to think about here. And and, and you know, you could see this the deal from both sides. You know, the the, the strengths, but also the the numerous shortcomings of it. Right. And, and, you know, um, I'm not saying this, uh, like, like you explained, there were three different intermediaries. It was very difficult. Even if the U.S. had a embassy in Iran, uh, you know, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know if that's why it happened, because they felt, well, we don't have a relationship with the Americans. We can do anything we want. I don't I don't know if they've grabbed any British citizens. You know, there's a a, 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 the British have a very active embassy in Iran, and in fact, their ambassador was on social media recently um, uh, speaking perfect Farsi. Uh, you know, it's very impressive uh, for for a Brit. <laughs> uh, but so definitely, they're taking advantage of the fact that we have no relationship. I'm not saying this is a this is a uh, a scenario where if you had relations, maybe this wouldn't happen. Uh, but Somehow the Brits, you know, a, a democratic a U.S. ally, have been able to tolerate Iran and all of its human rights issues and all of the issues that, that you know, no closer ally. We say every time the, the, uh, the, the prime minister of England gets together with the U.S. president, they, you know, they hold hands and they take photo ops and no closer ally, no closer ally. And yet one of our closest allies has this relationship with Iran, which has got to be puzzling. You know, how can, how can they can tolerate Iran and the U.S. can't, I guess, a question. And I, I didn't see five Brits being grabbed for a billion dollars uh, release. Uh, it was Americans uh, or American, Iranian Americans. So um, this may not end. Uh, this is sadly, this is not the end. This is just a process uh, that we're observing. I know a lot of people see milestones and they react to these milestones and outrage, of course, over all of those things we just talked about, but uh, tomorrow somebody else could be grabbed for, for all kinds of other reasons, and uh, we're back at this again because, like you say, whether it's Iran or another country, they've they've been incentivized that Americans are worth about a billion dollars, and even if it's not fresh money, it's your own assets. So if you've got some assets tied up somewhere in some uh, U.S. allied bank, uh, this is how you get it out. 
right? Unfortunately. Um, what do you see, especially with Raisi's visit, and of course, we to the UN and uh, Biden, as you said, didn't mention Iran other than the standard political line, which has been the case with, I don't know, some 30, 20, 30 years. I think that's been the same Iran, uh, American policy. We're not going to let Iran grab a, get a nuclear bomb. or Okay, fine. That's kind of where it stops. They kind of keep, but they never, they never integrate uh, you know, democracy or human rights or any of those other issues that are important to the diaspora in their political speeches, uh, right? They, they give Grammys to an Iranian, you know, musician. Uh, you know, they, they do other uh, social media uh, puff pieces, have a, have a Iranian uh, Persian New Year at the White House, but they don't change policy. Uh, in the couple of minutes we have left, I mean, what scenario would have to take place for the U.S. to change its policy, so you know, there's been critiques actually in the the academic and even policy community about what is the U.S. strategy um, with Iran moving forward. This move was seen as something very tactical, let's say, but really, what is the the overarching strategy is the big question mark. And um, you know, on the one side, of course, some would say that that U.S.-Iran uh, relations um, and even sometimes lumping the Europeans in, although, as you said, it might be more nuanced on the European side, have never been worse, uh, despite the, this this incremental deal that we saw uh, take place recently. Uh, and so, you know, the question is, is will there be a dialing down in the wake of this of U.S.-Iran tensions? Um, on the one side, we've seen that since this deal was made, the, the Iranians have put restrictions on their nuclear program. But then on the flip side, they just uh, expelled IEA inspectors. Um, so, you know, it's one step forward, uh, another step back. Um, apparently, they've also um, communicated to their partners and proxies in the region to, to not target U.S. assets for the time being. Um, but of course, there's other contentious issues. There's the, the issues with the tankers, which in response, the U.S. has increased its military presence. There's the the support for the Russians uh, with with drones and missiles in Ukraine, um, and, and uh, of course the, the 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 protests and and potentially, like you said, more hostage taking in the future. So you know we're really at a crossroads, and I don't see the U.S. taking any bold moves heading into election season in 2024. Perhaps if Biden were to win a second term, uh, as would happen to Obama, you might see perhaps um, efforts to, to revive the JCPOA or, or, or maybe something else if they want to think outside the box, if that agreement has not died at this point. The problem is, you know, the, the, the Iranians on their side don't necessarily see that the U.S. can have a long-term strategy given election cycles, changes in administration, given that no guarantees could be made just as what happened. You signed the JCPOA in 2015, you pull out of it in 2018, if you have a Republican administration, you would probably have a more hostile administration towards Iran. So, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding that relationship. That seems to be the case uh, always with Iran. So uh, thank you so much, Eric Lobb, for joining us. I really appreciate you. And uh, please, we're going to keep checking back with you every time something happens in Iran. Uh, there's never a shortage of issues, unfortunately. And of course, we all want the best for the people of Iran. Um, but Unfortunately, we just have to deal with all these geopolitical issues that impact ordinary people that have nothing to do with politics, uh, that their lives are impacted by all these big deals uh, that happen. So thanks again, Eric Lobb. We'll see you soon. 
Thank you. Um, I have a feeling we'll be speaking again very, very soon. <laughs> Thank you.